Hello and welcome to the Amateur Austinite. My name is Frances Duncan. I am an author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand. However, I am underqualified for my job because I am and have always been an enthusiastic amateur. Today we are going to be discussing Chapter 7 of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. In Chapter 7, we finally get background on the Bennets in Meryton, very late in the book, the militias in town, Jane visits the Bingleys and becomes ill, Lizzie visits her and is invited to stay. Often the opening chapter of Jane Austen's book will establish the family, how much money they have, where they live, all that sort of important stuff. So chapter 7 is quite a long way in to actually talk about that. It says, Mr. Bennett's property consisted almost entirely in an estate of 2000 a year, which unfortunately for his daughters was entailed in default of heirs male on a distant relation. And their mother's fortune, though ample for her situation in life, could but ill supply the deficiency of his. So here's foreshadowing to Mr. Collins too, the heir apparent. We learn that Longbourn is only one mile from Meryton and that Catherine and Lydia went there quite often as their minds were more vacant than their sisters and they needed the entertainment that Meryton provided to give them something to talk about in the evenings. The younger sisters are also more excited by the militia being in town. Their mother says they will not think about officers any more than we do when they're our age. Which is funny because then she goes on to say she remembers when she liked to eradicate herself. And indeed, I still do at my heart. Which shows potentially that Lydia and Kitty will never grow out of it because their mother hasn't. One of the themes that I think appears in this chapter is inheritance. Not only the inheritance of money because they're talking about the Bennett's estate and what will happen to it but also the inheritance of character, because here you can see how Kitty and Lydia follow on from their mother and the example that she shows them, potentially something that's also in their genetics. Another theme that I think appears, I'm not quite sure the wording for this, but entertainment for women, how hard it is to be a woman. The Miss Bingley's inviting, almost begging Jane to come and visit them. The gentlemen being out, they had in fact nothing to do elsewhere as they're looking after Jane when she's in the house, because the gentlemen aren't there to entertain them. We see this crop up with Lydia and Kitty as well, with their need to go into Meryton to see their aunt and talk about officers, because they have nothing to keep themselves entertained. One of my favourite quotes from this chapter, or something that stands out to me, is Mrs Bennet's, People do not die of little trifling colds, when in fact, during this period of time, they do and did with quite a lot of frequency. Mrs. Bennett is being a little bit reckless with Jane's health here. Perhaps if it was Kitty, who hasn't been well in the past, she might not have sent her off the way that she did Jane on a horseback when she knew it was going to rain. But she is very scheming, and the scheme worked because Jane did have to stay at Netherfield for the night. And it's just a bonus to Mrs. Bennett that she gets to stay longer. She's very good at seeing some things from the positive point of view. Another quote that stands out to me in this chapter is, the latter was thinking only of his breakfast. They're talking here about Mr. Hurst. He and Mr. Darcy both weren't saying anything when Elizabeth arrived. The former, Mr. Darcy, was divided between admiration of the brilliancy which exercise had given to her complexion and the doubt as to the occasions justifying her coming so far alone. 
and the latter, Mr. Hurst, was thinking only of his breakfast. I can get behind that. Yeah, I totally understand Mr. Hurst's point of view. He has to wait for Elizabeth to disappear so he can eat his breakfast probably because they probably all stood when she arrived and were talking to her and he was probably going, all right, can you go now so I can sit down and finish eating? Which might be considered rude, but I think is eminently practical. I think the fact that the Bennett sisters aren't married is a pretty big indicator that there aren't any eligible gentlemen who live around them. So the militia turning up is a really big thing because within their ranks there will be some eligible men for them to marry. Um, So it's not surprising that they're excited about this. Also, who doesn't get excited about a man in uniform? I mean, people that are attracted to men. Including Mrs. Bennett. And she has a bit of a ridiculous idea of what a colonel might earn. She says a colonel with five or six thousand a year could have one of her daughters. If Mr. Bingley weren't there, we could easily imagine that Mrs. Bennett would now be scheming to get her daughters married off to some of the gentlemen in the militia. The militia, by the way, is sort of the home guard, and they all wear red coats, which is why they're referred to as red coats. And that is my summary of Chapter 7 of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. My name is Frances Duncan. You can find me at francisduncanwrites.com and on Twitter at Francis underscore Duncan. Thank you for listening, and I wish you happy reading. Just popping back in to let you guys know that we have merch now. I haven't actually got merch with my face on it. That seems a little weird to me, but if you really want it, let me know and I'll do that. There's merch of the Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa New Zealand's logo, uh, some Jane Austen merch, and some Pride and Prejudice Heavily Pride-focused merch too. It's on Redbubble and the link is in the notes. Happy buying!